You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. I'm super glad to be back with you this week. How many in this room are kind of tired of the snow? Show of hands. How many of you enjoyed the snow completely? Yeah, me too. Uh, Sorry, like it's a divide, all right? Uh, I had the privilege of spending some time in West Tennessee with a group of guys, um, a couple, I guess it was last week, for a few days and um, spent time on a duck hunting trip, which was uh, a lot of fun. And, you know, the, the cold weather and the snow is absolutely, you know, in my book, a lot of fun to drive in. Uh, on Friday, we got back and we just hunted like uh, an afternoon and the next afternoon, two afternoons. On Friday, I made the long trip back and it was such an incredible time that I called my son Silas and said, Silas, you know, after I get home, you know, this is a seven hour drive roughly, um, I'm gonna pull in the driveway, have your stuff packed, we're going right back. And so I, I needed a father son memory. And so I pull in the driveway at the house in the snow, snow's still here. I head back, you know, another seven hours just to hunt with him Saturday morning. Here, here's kind of our memory. And I pull this up because uh, it gives you an idea of what it was like. I need the father son moments. And before anyone points it out, my zipper's not done, undone, all right? Um, <laughs> Those pants are made that way. Now, those of you that don't know, uh, I'm coming up on five years as lead pastor here. And my first month pastoring here five years ago as this position, I taught an entire service with my zipper down. And so I've never outlived it. So that zipper is up. It's just a weird type of zipper. Anyway, so back to the topic. Uh, created some great memories during uh, the snow. But, but here's the thing about the snow. Like some people think it's a disaster. And honestly, there can be times that it is a disaster for some places. But but not so much here, um, the way that we went through it. In fact, uh, when I think of disasters, I think of the way that I grew up. I was born in Kentucky and lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. And one of the things that I remember most as a kid in Indiana were tornadoes. Uh, Some of you in this room, like, you know, there are firsthand experiences. There are stories represented in this room of the disaster of tornadoes. I remember our family, uh, we had a small house, but no like tornado room. We had a small bathroom with only the toilet and the sink. And all five of us would pile in there as kids and mom and dad, scared to death, knowing that the tornado was coming. I remember the sirens. I remember the fear, the anxiety being overwhelmed. Some of you are familiar with that. Uh, Maybe it's not a tornado. Maybe it's a hurricane. And some of you live close to a coast. And and you remember what it's like to know the pending doom of a hurricane. Uh, People are leaving. Some are deciding to stay. And and you've experienced the, the fear affiliated with it. Others perhaps... Your mind goes back to something from a different part of the country or maybe even close and you lived in the Gatlinburg area. You remember what it's like for a wildfire. Like the disaster, the the torment, the the fear that, that just overwhelms us. I want you to think about that fear affiliated with disaster. And I want those images, those emotions to shape this series. Because those emotions are exactly what the nation of Israel are facing in the middle of the book of Daniel. Uh, We're going to spend time looking at a series entitled When Kingdoms Collide. You could also refer to it kind of when cultures collide. And what's happening in this story, if you've got your Bibles, you can open to the book of Daniel, is there is an empire called the Babylonian Empire, and they're beginning to get momentum. Uh, This note of disaster is kind of the undertone for the book. Because everywhere that, everywhere that Babylon is going, armies are marching and empires are on the roll. And every place 
that it touches is scared to death. They know it's coming. They're playing through worst case scenario. They know doom is around the corner. Uh, So much so that that this is how it leads to Daniel 1. The Babylonian Empire, if you look at this image, the Babylonian Empire is about to go to war with the nation of Egypt and Egypt's allies. But they're going to meet at the top in a place called Carchemish. It's going to take place at that war at the very top. Babylon crushes Egypt and the allies at Carchemish. And they chase Egypt all the way back down to Egypt on the side. But you'll notice as they're chasing Egypt down to utterly destroy them, there's a place that's in the way. It says Jerusalem. So the nation of Israel is right there and Babylon decides to make a stop. You can imagine if you're in Israel, if you're in Jerusalem, you hear that pending doom is coming. You know what the empire, the Babylonian empire is like. All this fear is climbing. And I'm telling you, this is the note on which the book of Daniel begins. Uh, Babylonians start this siege. Look at Daniel 1 verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. It's a blockade. Nobody gets out. No food gets in. Uh, that's Jerusalem, the fortified walls of the city. All the towns and the villages around it, people know they're coming. So they decide to go inside Jerusalem to seek protection. There's a problem with that. There's more people inside the walls, less food. And it's a matter of time before Jerusalem is starved out by the Babylonian besiege. Uh, Israel taps out and Babylon comes in. Verse 2, and the Lord, get that. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar has it. Did you notice anything? God gave Jerusalem into the hands of the Babylonians. To which I want to respond, but God wouldn't do that. The Israelites are his chosen people. And when you read the theme of the Old Testament, I've referenced it over and over. It's a lot like Charlie Brown's sweater. There are these ups and downs of the nation of Israel and God. He says, look, as long as you worship me, I'll protect you. But when you turn your back on me, I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you. And that's exactly what's happened in this passage. It's why the Babylonian army comes in and destroys. And Nebuchadnezzar is kind of in charge. And you'll notice in the text that it said he carried the articles of God off from the temple. That means Nebuchadnezzar grabs the articles of the utensils like golden plates, golden cups, uh, golden uh, silverware. And he takes all these different items and he brings them back to his own temple. uh, To which you're wondering, what will he do with them? Look at verse 2. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon. And he put it in the treasure house of his God. Uh, Back in the day, the idea of multiple gods. When kingdoms come and kingdoms go and empires are on the reign. Uh, What would take place is if an empire came in and destroyed another empire, it was the equivalent of thinking that, okay, our God is better than your God. And so, kind of the theme that's flowing among everyone, Babylon and Israel, is Babylon's God is bigger than our God. Here's what's crazy. The God of Israel let that happen. If you're living in Israel in 605 BC, there's probably a few things going through your mind because of what's currently going on as people are getting carted off. The temple of God utensils are getting carted off and Nebuchadnezzar is now in control. You're wondering, is God finished with us? How can we trust the God who 
lets this happen to us? And how could God still be at work after this? Today, it's 2024. Our circumstances are different than what's going on here. But if you think about it, knowing your story, your predicament, the questions are still the same. Look at it. You ever ask the question, is God finished with me? Um, This often comes to mind after a significant personal failure, public embarrassment. You're humiliated. You're wondering, is God finished with me? Or how about this? How can I trust a God who let this happen to me? There's a question sometimes we ask after a major disappointment. Or it's a question that we, we ask after a series of minor disappointment, disappointments, back to back to back. How about this? How could God still be at work after this? My heart's been broken. My dreams have been dashed. I'm not sure how to move forward. Understand, if you're dealing with heartbreak, if you're dealing with some significant disaster, if something has caught you off guard and dreams are dashed, when you look at this story, our circumstances may be different. But our questions are still the same. When we get to the book of Daniel, especially in chapter 1, it unfolds with four different scenes. We're going to look at these four scenes. And each scene has a common thread. You're going to notice the fingerprints of God are all over the story. And it's all over the story in in a pretty unique way. You're going to find that God is still at work. And he's still at work in a surprising way and in a surprising place. Babylon. A surprising way through four high school kids. I mean, your mind's about to be blown, and God is going to work in and through and around the life of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We'll look into this throughout this series of how God uses these men when when kingdoms collide, when cultures clash, because these men will be recruited and leveraged in the Babylonian empire, but they're still a part of the kingdom of God. My hope, especially today, As we look at their story, you would consider your story, your disappointment, your questions, your concerns, the things that have you stumped on behalf of God. And you would hold tight and you would know that in your story, God's still at work in a surprising way and sometimes in a surprising place. And perhaps by the end of today, we'll bring this back. Maybe you can have the courage to pray by yourself or with your spouse or as a family. God, would you please still be at work in my story as you're at work in their story. As you work through these four high school kids, in them, through them, around them. As your fingerprints are all over this in a surprising way while they're in Babylonian exile. The most, the most tremendous disaster that anyone can fathom. Uh, there's four scenes that take place. Number one, I want us to see the program. These four high school students, they are recruited into a Babylonian three-year program. Listen to verse three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Well, you've got to ask the question, what's going on here? Uh, The Babylonian king is in the middle of growing an empire. And as he destroys other empires, he brings in the best and the brightest from all the other empires to help his empire grow. And what he's done after defeating the nation of Israel by destroying Jerusalem is he grabs their most talented valedictorians and he brings them in for, for three years of training in their program. I'm not going to read 
verse 4, but I want you to see the qualifications for these guys. I'll give you an idea. Uh, these men had to be without physical defect. They had to be handsome. Before men are elbowing each other, you're probably out on this one, all right? Uh, aptitude for learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve. I can just see husbands elbowing their wives like, I'd be it. But all right, this is not the case. Like, look at the issue, quick to understand. Um, imagine this, this is like poise. Because these guys are going to be like in the presence of the king. And I want you to think about quick to understand. Why is that one so important? Here's why, verse 4. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So they're in a three-year program. The clock is ticking. And they're going to have to learn Babylonian literature. And what the Babylonian culture has to say about, you know, the planets, the stars, their history, uh, their heroes, culture itself, their administration. They're going to have to learn this by reading this. Now, quick question, because we've talked about this as a staff recently. How many of you guys, uh, show of hands, it's all right. You're not bragging. It's just kind of one of your gifts. How many of you in this room feel like... Um, Reading comprehension comes pretty good for you. Raise your hand. Show of hands. Let's go high, all right? It's okay. Most are jealous of you, all right? It's just the reality. Like you can read something kind of quick. You don't have to go back and reread it a million times like I do. Right? My brain starts to chase things. Not only do you read it quick, you remember it. And you can logically start to put things together. These guys had to have that, okay? If that was you and you had your hands raised, I want you to help me by, let's read this out loud together, all right? <laughs> we laugh, but that's what these guys are dealing with. It's, it's not just new literature. It's a new language. Now, some of you think you can read fast, but you can't read that. Neither can Daniel. And they're going to have to learn Babylonian literature, Babylonian language. And the clock is ticking. Three years to excel. There were some perks. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. The best food and wine they could have. Free room and board. So think about these guys, four high school guys. They're in a Babylonian country. Learning a Babylonian language. So they can read Babylonian literature. They get to eat. Babylonian food, but there's a problem. They're now going to have Babylonian names. Some of you would recognize some of these. Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. That guy, Hananiah, Shadrach. Uh, Mishael becomes Meshach. Azariah becomes Abednego. And most of us in this room recognize those three names. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar wants to do. He wants to immerse them in his kingdom. He wants to indoctrinate them in the Babylonian culture. He wants to dip them completely, total indoctrination. He wants to rid them of their Jewish heritage. And on behalf of the king's food that we read about here, it goes against the grain of the Jewish dietary restrictions. This will become a challenge. So scene one was the program. Scene two, the king's table. Don't forget, these guys are for high school students. And Daniel becomes their spokesman. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved. By the way, one of my favorite words, I've taught a few messages on that one word, resolve. Incredible word. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official, Ashpenaz, for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, we're not 100% sure of the rationale behind this. It could be that 
It was completely against the grain for their dietary restrictions. It could have been that it would offer beforehand to uh, Babylonian gods. But don't worry about that. Just understand that it was violating his conscience. But good news. The guy that's his boss, Ashpenaz, he likes Daniel. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. I'm telling you, God's fingerprints are all over this story. We forget that so much. Meaning the official, Ashpenaz, doesn't simply show favor toward Daniel. God caused the official to show favor toward Daniel. And once again, I'm telling you, God is still at work. Fingerprints are all over this. Surprising way in a surprising place. Does that mean everything goes good? No. Verse 9 continues. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I was afraid of the Lord, the king, my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. In other words, Daniel, I'm all right if you want to risk your life for your faith, but please don't risk my life for your faith. And now all of a sudden we're starting to feel it. This is what happens when kingdoms collide, when cultures clash. See, Daniel wants to serve the Babylonian Empire well, wants to do a good job, give it everything he's got. But he also wants to honor God above everything. He wants to be deeply loyal to God. Understand, for all of us in this room, this is kind of where it comes together. All of us are going to have moments like this when because we're followers of Jesus, we don't necessarily see eye to eye with culture. Kingdoms have collided. Understand, um, concerning Daniel and these guys, think about what's at play. Here's how it unfolds. Haul us into Babylon. All right. Put us in your three-year program. All right. Give us new names. All right. Here's your food. Not all right. Um, do me a favor on this one. Can we say these words together? All right. All right. All right. Not all right. Now, those that laugh, they know where I'm going with this, all right? Some of you, I promise it happens all the time. Don't do it. Don't send me an email. Oh, you threw Matthew McConaughey, all this stuff. Don't do it. I'll just say, all right, all right, all right. I'm not, I don't care. (laughs) These four words are four words that all of us need to embrace as followers of Jesus. You say, what? Yeah, I mean, you're reading the story. All right. All right. All right. Not all right. Uh, Let me try to play it out as cultures collide. Um, Maybe you work in sales. Boss says to you, hey, uh, there's a conference coming to Nashville. I need you to head up there. All right. Um, There is a new potential customer. Man, if you can hit it off with him, hit hit it off with her, things will go great. It'll be good for you, be good for the company. All right. Need you to take them out afterwards. They're going to love, like, they love a nice restaurant. And you're like, all right. Side note, it'll win them over if you take them to a club, strip club. Not all right. Like you see how it plays out. Not all right. It's all right, all right, all right. Not all right. Like, like you need to have the courage in a high-pressure job situation where you speak up and like, look, I'll get up extra early. I'll make the trip. I'll do all kinds of things for this company. But if you're asking me to compromise, 
It's not all right. To which your boss, I know the pressure, could say, oh, so you're judging them. To which you can respond like Daniel, I'm not judging them. I'm judging myself. I'm not saying they don't belong there. I'm saying I don't belong there. And let us understand this, please. We cannot expect people that are not followers of Jesus to act like Jesus. And when the Bible says that don't judge, it's talking about those that have already been judged. We are to judge those in the house of God. But among those that do not yet know, you are to evaluate strong on behalf of yourself. And so you have the courage to speak up in a kingdom when it collides. All right, I can do that. Okay, I can do that. All right, here. I'm telling you, not all right. That's what Daniel does. High school students in the room. Uh, friends. I tell you, hey, Friday's coming. We're, we're all going to get together. All right. Afterwards, we're going to go out for pizza. All right. Um, such and such is coming. All right. Then we're going to go to such and such's house. Parents aren't around. Older sister's there. She really doesn't care what goes on. Not all right. To which they might, might respond, what? Your parents won't know? Like nobody knows. And a follower of Jesus, it's a high school student in this room. Actually, my parents might eventually know, right? But truth be told, I will know. So all right, all right, all right. Not all right. And it's always, not always that, that cut and dry, by the way. Let's, let's just say it's kind of a family dynamic. And uh, let's say you and your family spouse and kids. Uh, you live in a kind of a modest home. You drive used cars. Let's just talk real talk. But their family, your family, they've kind of got things a little bit better. Nicer cars, nice house. Spend quite a bit of money. But for some reason, since your house is kind of a home, everybody ends up hanging out at your house quite a bit. And um, you're constantly getting a few little jabs. You feel like you don't amount to much. You feel less than them when they talk about, well, when are y'all going to upgrade houses? Like, don't you think it's time for you to get a new car? Don't you think your wife, your husband, they deserve a new car? They've driven that forever, right? And in the kindest way possible, sometime around the corner, you can have the courage to say, look, when it comes to you guys coming over and us cooking and even buying the meals, all right. And when it comes time for us to, um, to go on a vacation together as a family, it's a little pricey, but all right. And when mom and dad's like 50-year anniversaries around the corner, we need to save up and buy a big gift. All right. But, but when it comes to the pressure of me adding a nicer car and adding more financial baggage with a nicer house, not all right. Because we've chosen with what we make to honor God with where we are, and we need financial margin. We need financial peace. I'm just telling you, I, I've felt it play out in different ways, and everyone in this room feels it play out. If there's nothing you... If there's only one thing you remember today, how about that phrase? All right, all right, all right, not all right. By the way, it may not work that flow. It may have to be not all right. It may be all right, but then not all right. Daniel shows us what it's like when a kingdom, cultures collide. Back to the story, Ashpenaz, as Daniel speaks up, not all right. Doesn't say, doesn't say no, but he asks for help. Basically, here's what Ashpenaz says. Can you guys find a way to observe your dietary restriction and avoid getting me killed in the process. So Daniel meets with another supervisor and he makes a proposal. You might call this proposal, scene three, a test drive. Daniel would like a 
test drive for 10 days concerning a different way of eating food. By the way, 10 days does not seem long, does it? If I'm Daniel, I am scared to death. God, I need you to come through. 10 days? God, I feel the, the weight of this. Verse 12, here's Daniel's response to the official that's over him. Please, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Um, notice something critical to Daniel's predicament here and your predicament when cultures collide, when kingdoms clash. Ready? It's crazy. Daniel is polite. Which means it's possible to express an opinion without being rude or demeaning, without being a jerk. It really is. Daniel's one of my favorite leaders in all the Bible. Consider this. It's not just the fact that Daniel is making a case. It's how Daniel is making the case. Up to this point, if you pay close attention, when it came to Ashpenaz, with Ashpenaz, he asked permission. And with his supervisor, he says, please. It's in the text. He does everything he can to be as polite as possible, which means for all of us. And by the way, this election stuff's coming around the corner again. Understand, we need to learn how to disagree in such a way that it still honors the person on the other, other side of the disagreement. As followers of Jesus, understand this. And please, I'm going to remind you, the American government is not God's plan to redeem the world. It is the local church. And I'm preparing myself for all kinds of pushback from everyone. I'm going to stay fixated on Jesus. I'm telling you. But when we disagree, you can do so in a kind way. Not to mention it is hard to win over people that do not know Jesus when you're being a jerk. Verse 14. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. I'm telling you, guys, God's fingerprints are all over this story. It's got disaster written all over it. And God's at work like in, around, and through four high school students. I've said it before, I'm gonna say it again. God's still at work in a surprising way, in a surprising place. Watch this. To these four young men, God gave Knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. His favor is all over him. And he, he does something cool that's unique just to, tan, to Daniel. God does this. Verse 17 continues. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. We'll look at this a little bit more as the series unfolds. But it's just powerful how God works in his life in an amazing way because he honors God. Well, time flies. Three-year program. I'm telling you, uh, the clock and the calendar, they are ruthless. A year's gone. Two years gone. Daniel and the guys are counting down the months, counting down the weeks, counting down the days. And now we get scene four, the final exam. And this final exam is not a written exam. They're going to get brought before the king. And the king is going to ask them a series of questions. He wants to know what you learned. And he wants to know how you carried yourself. So verse 18, 
At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal. Wow. To Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Cyrus is not part of the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus is Persian. So understand this. Later, Babylon will be defeated by Persia. So Daniel, as he honors God, lives in God's kingdom, but he's thrown into the kingdom of Babylon. He works for the Babylonian administration and the Persian administration. It's crazy. Daniel will be in leadership for more than 60 years. I'm telling you, God's still at work in a surprising way, in a surprising place. His fingerprints are all over this story. Let's think how it started. Disaster. Blockade. The siege. Starving Jerusalem out. Israel taps out. Nebuchadnezzar goes in and takes the articles of God out of the temple of God. And then he hauls off the people of God. To which... If I'm living in 605 B.C., don't think less of me, think less of me. I don't care. I'm going to wonder if the God of Israel is weak. It'll cross my mind. I'll wonder, okay, it seems like he's unengaged. He's uninvolved. I look around, it seems like he's unable to help. So if I'm alive in 605 B.C. and I've been hauled off like these four high school students into Babylon, can I tell you the questions that I'm going to be asking? We saw them at the beginning. Is God finished with us? Can we trust him? How can God possibly be at work after this mess? Okay. The year's different. It's 2024. Circumstances might not be as severe as what's going on there, but the questions are still the same. You've probably asked this. You have family that are asking this. These are the questions we ask when kingdoms collide. But I want you to remember today. God's still at work. In a surprising way. In a surprising place. I promise you honor him. His fingerprints are all over your story. He wants to work in you, through you, around you. So learn to say, all right, all right, all right, not not all right. Learn to resolve in your heart to honor God. Learn to trust Him. Learn to be polite and kind, even when things are in complete disagreement from the God you serve. And here's what my hope and my prayer has been. Today, is, as we finish the service and Kind of fold your Bible and gather your stuff and you head out those doors and you go to your car, get in the car, and you start thinking or feeling the anxiety affiliated with that, that thing that, that you're bothered by. The predicament, the circumstance, the disaster. 
I'm just praying that for a moment you'd reflect on this story. You'd think about it. What God did, unexplainably. He, he was still at work when it didn't look like it. And he was doing things even when it didn't feel like it. His fingerprints are all over it. And if you could just set the circumstance, the emotions, the anxiety to the side for just a second, gather your wits as a follower of Jesus and pray this prayer. God, please be at work in my story. In the same way you were at work in Daniel's story. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to feel the weight, feel the tension, feel the anxiety, perhaps the shame, the disappointment, the embarrassment, humiliation over your disappointment, a disruption, a divorce, disaster, pending relocation. And pray this prayer. God, will you please be at work in my life? In the way that you are at work in their life. As we close today, we're going to sing a song. I want to give you a chance to perhaps make some kind of decision. Maybe you want to see what it looks like to honor God. If you come to the front right. There's a next steps room. As you leave, there's a next steps room. Just, just come talk to us about, can you talk to me about what it really looks like to honor God in my marriage, at home, at work, with my wife? Some of you need to schedule a baptism. This is the best way to schedule a baptism. If you've trusted God and you've never been immersed in the waters of baptism, you schedule a baptism, love for you to take a step. Also, we've got that class today. But what it looks like, be a part of this body as together here we are a church experiencing what it's like to be in Knoxville when kingdoms collide you're going to find out you're going to find out next week the weeks to come you need a crew before you need a crisis a crew is a group of men and women that are around you that's a tight-knit group so when crisis comes you can you can make it you can endure it you're going to see that with Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abednego Partnering with the church is how that plays out. Whatever your decision is today, I want to encourage you, whether it's during the song, after the song, it doesn't matter. It's kind of where it all comes to a head. My prayer is that you would do something with it. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Daniel. Just this quiet man with resolve. I love the words that you say to describe him. You gave him wisdom and tact. You give him poise. He was polite even when kingdoms collide. There's a lot we can learn from Daniel. I pray that you would teach me to be more like Daniel. Give me the courage and the confidence to know that I can be that because Jesus is alive in me. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.